0: All right, if you wouldn 't mind finding a seat, part of the uh, part of the celebration of Easter is there 's no announcements now usually I, usually, I would have a stand as we read the text, but it 's a long text today, so I'm going to you just relax. I'm going to read this and then we're going to stand for the prayer. So here we go. Luke chapter 24 13 through 53. Here we go. Boom. Boom. <laughs> yep, back to There we go. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about 7 miles from Jerusalem. That same day, it's resurrection day. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day "'since all this took place. "'In addition, some of our women amazed us. "'They went to the tomb early this morning, "'but didn't find his body. "'They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels "'who said he was alive. "'Then some of our companions went to the tomb "'and found it just as the women had said, "'but they did not see Jesus. "'He said to them, "'How foolish you are, "'and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken.' Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts Rise in your minds. Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now, could we stand together? Lord, I have prepared a message to speak. But Lord, it doesn't matter how much talking there is. If you yourself do not come into this place and open up our hearts and minds so that we can recognize you. Lord, I'll I'll speak, but Holy Spirit, only you can make hearts burn. Would you please come and reveal the risen Christ in our midst? Hide me behind your cross today, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Resurrection Joy. And if you remember at Christmas, the promise of the angels was that this would be good news that would bring great joy. Now we have it on the other side where they have seen him they have experienced the the mental anguish of they they're disbelieving him but there he is and and we saw him die but here he is and he eats this fish in front of them and says no it's me look look at the wounds i am alive and finally at the very end of luke 24 they go back and they are convinced and they are worshiping him and they are experiencing it says great joy so that's what i want to talk about today resurrection joy point 1 two aspects of joy first it's personal proverbs 14:10 each heart knows its own bitterness but no one else can share its joy After the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. And then he looks at these shepherds. He says, for today in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. It's corporate, but it has to become personal. No one can experience personal joy except you. And you can't get this from somebody else. And this can become a real problem in church. Because you come and you see somebody else that has joy, but if you don't experience it, you conclude that it's fake, that it's put on, that it's hype. Because joy has to be experienced personally. So a few weeks ago, actually probably over a month ago now, we were in our Tuesday night prayer meeting, and Nathan began the Tuesday night prayer meeting with this song about joy. And he's singing, you haven't known me till you've known me filled with joy. You haven't known me till you've known me. And I never do this at prayer meeting. It's the first song at prayer meeting. I go up. Poor Nathan has got his eyes closed. He's just, you haven't known me. And I just put a hand on him. <laughs> and he's opened his eyes. and I'm like, what, what, what is going on? And I'm like, dude, I need to say something right now. Here's what I said. For many of us, songs about joy are awkward. At best, we have a theology that there should be joy. Maybe we've had a little taste here or there. But for the most part, joy is not our experience. That night, here's, here's what I felt like was on the Lord's heart. This is John 15, 11. This is at the Last Supper. This is Jesus' among his last words to his disciples. He says this in John 15, 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. This is... This is necessary equipment for now. This is not joy in heaven that I have spoken. Everything that I've spoken, everything that is written here is to produce something in us. I want to give you my joy, and I want you to be filled with joy. And so, what I, I changed the song to this. I haven't known me until I've known me filled with joy. There is a better version of yourself. The best version of yourself is you filled with joy. Oftentimes, we just accept the present identity, the present version of ourselves as this is the real me, and it is the real you. It's just not the best version of you. There is a version of you filled with joy. You were created and redeemed for this greatest version. How many know that the joy of the Lord is our strength? And a church that doesn't have joy is going to be a weak church. A life that doesn't have joy, it's just going to feel like you're walking in mud through this life. And, And Jesus is here today. And he's got a smile on his face. And he's inviting each one of us to examine the possibility that there is a better version of myself. There is a, there's a greater identity, me filled with joy. This has to be experienced personally. It has to be carried personally. And Jesus wants to invite you personally to the best version of yourself today. One aspect of joy is it's personal. Second aspect of joy is that it's disconnected from circumstances. Look at this, Proverbs 15, 15. All the ways of the oppressed, all the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. The cheerful heart has a continual feast. Notice, it doesn't say the heart that is on vacation in Hawaii has a continual feast. It doesn't say the heart that just got a promotion has a continual it doesn't say the heart whose team just won the championship or the heart that just got a new car. No, no. The one who has a merry heart has a and here's the word continual feast. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter if things outwardly are going good or outwardly are going bad. We have have a word about our circumstances called happiness. Happiness means I'm happy because of what's happening. Joy is deeper. Joy is disconnected from what is happening in your life. This This is why it brings tremendous freedom When we experience and and come into our greater identity of joy. All right, so that's point one. Here's point two the basis of joy. First, believing that history is redemptive and not random. To come in to your identity, your true identity of joy, it's going to start with you believing something, not just about your life, but of all of history. The history itself is redemptive and not random. So here it is. It's resurrection day. Jesus is alive. But here's two of his disciples, good guys, sincere guys, and their their faces are downcast, they're struggling. And Jesus comes and interviews them about what, why are you struggling? And and they share from their heart. Um, haven't you where have you been? There Jesus was a great prophet. He, he was beautiful. He spoke words of beauty. He, he healed people. We thought this was the one. We thought this was the new beginning. But in the end, just like always, the chief priests and the rulers, those with the money, those with the power, ended up triumphing over him and crucified him and, and, and crushed our hope. That's why we're downcast. And despair and sadness, oftentimes, because we have to survive in this world, you just can't live sad all the time. So it, 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 it leads to something called cynicism, where we just kind of harden our hearts to this is, how, this is how it is in this world. This is a dog-eat-dog world, and in the end, no matter how good and idealistic you are, um, those with power, and those with money are going to triumph. And uh, the whole politics of our day, it's, it's, it's all going to be about man and, and, and man getting their way in the end. And it's going to lead to despair. So Jesus says this to them. He said, "You guys, you guys have been foolish. You you haven't believed. You haven't really believed the whole message of the Bible." And and he began to speak to them about who he was from the Old Testament. This morning in, our, in, our, in the one year Bible I do the one year Bible every day It's got a little uh, Old Testament Little New Testament Little Psalm Little proverb every day And so you read through the Bible in a year And I just do that for my devotional life Well this morning's reading Is Jesus is trying to help those same religious leaders That are going to crucify him And he said you guys say That Messiah is going to be the son Or the descendant of David And he said How is it in Psalm 110 that David calls him Lord? He calls Messiah Lord while he was living. They had an idea of Messiah. Messiah was a man and he was a descendant of David and he was going to be this great political leader. And Jesus is trying to help them. Not, Messiah is not just going to descend from David, he is the root of David. He came before David, he was David's creator. He is going to be God in the flesh. This is very, very important. You cannot believe history is redemptive unless you get the right identity. For Jesus. Jesus came out of heaven, was born on this earth so that he could die for all mankind. He says, This isn't about a political revolution where Messiah frees you politically. This is about way more than that. This is about you being freed spiritually. And he starts revealing the Old Testament scriptures. One of them he probably read is Isaiah 53, speaking of the Messiah. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned To our own way And the Lord has laid on him The iniquity of us all Whatever it might look like History is redemptive God didn't start over Some people are offended How could a loving, all-powerful God Allow so much evil? Here's why Because he didn't start over Yeah, he could have wiped out all evil And just started over Here's the problem He would have wiped out you and I too If he's going to do all evil, then it's going to include us. We're all sinners. And instead of starting over, God from the beginning said, I'm going to, I'm not taking away free will. I'm going to come and I'm going to suffer for them. I'm going to reveal my love. And my, the greatest revelation of his love is him dying on the cross. And, And I'm going to suffer for them. And then instead of forcing them, I'm going to draw them through that sacrifice. The resurrection seals that Jesus is who he said he was, that the sacrifice did what he came to do. All of history is redemptive. Now, if you need a little help with that as a 21st century person, notice that every time you write the date, do you know that the date, do you know why we write 2019? That's dated from when Jesus was born on this earth. He split history. History is, it's, it's his story. It is about redemption. But it's not just history for all mankind. It's your history. Your history is redemptive. Whatever side of it you're on right now, the reason why you're alive, the reason why God has a plan for your life, is for redemption. It is not to condemn you. It is to redeem you. The basis of joy is first, believing that history is redemptive and not random. And the reason why I say history, if the resurrection is not historical, if it actually didn't happen in our history, then there is no basis for joy. Christianity, apart from the resurrection, does not exist. And the joy that would come from it does not exist. This is the words of Paul. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life, we hope in Christ, we are of all people to most to be biddied. It's either a fact or it's not. Well, Pastor Tom, here I am, a 21st century person, and I'm scientific and I'm rational. How am I supposed to believe in a, in, a, in a resurrection of something that happened 2,000 years ago? Do I just have to set my mind aside and just believe because other people believe and other people want me to believe and other people think it's important? No, you don't need to set your mind aside. It's interesting what evidence actually is there. Gary Habermas argues the resurrection all over the world, and he says the majority of non-believing, non-believing New Testament scholars will agree that the the early disciples saw an empty tomb and had apparitions of the risen Christ. The reason why they're willing to grant so much is because it's, it's not disputed. Christianity started in the Middle East, and right from 2,000 years ago, and right away, it started on just this, the resurrection. That these sincere men said Jesus was alive. The whole thing rested on their sincerity. They gained nothing by saying he was alive, and they lost everything in this world. They lost their families. They lost their money. They lost their jobs. They lost their respect. Everything they lost just because they said Jesus was alive. And New Testament scholars say It's too much to believe That they were propagating a lie (laughs) That this whole thing started on something They knew wasn't true No, no They saw an empty tomb Because you'll never get You never get to resurrection With just an apparition People have apparitions Of people that died all the time You'd never believe They rose from the dead You'd say they're dead But I saw their spirit They had to have seen The empty tomb They had to have seen the empty tomb And then they had to have had these Apparitions of Jesus And the, uh, the unbelieving will, will grant this Now never mind That an unbelieving psychiatrist Has said Has gone on record as saying this Listen the idea that you're going to have Joint apparitions That, that, the, that people are going to have the same Apparition at the same time It would be a greater miracle Than the resurrection itself There is no such thing as a joint apparition Psychologically or mentally And then, of course, there's the women. Paul writes 1 Corinthians 15 in 50 AD. There's a question about the resurrection, and so he's trying to prove to his first century audience that, no, no, it's real. And he gives six different groups of people that saw Jesus alive from the dead, and all of them are men. Six different, some are personal and some are group, but they're all men. And you say say to Paul, what what happened to the women? Where where are the women? And here's here's where the women went. Women were not legal witnesses in that day. It's not going to help his first century argument to say that women saw him alive because men don't, in that day they didn't accept the testimony of a woman. So N.T. Wright makes this comment. He's a New Testament scholar and historian. He said... He said, why then do all four Gospels insist that the first witnesses are women? And he says this, the women aren't going to help for a first century apologist. But for a 21st century historian, the reason why the women are there in all four accounts is because it must have happened that way. They weren't trying to get people to believe a story that wasn't true. They're reporting on history. This is how it happened. If you wanted to make up a story and prove it, you'd never have women there, and you'd never have Mary Magdalene as your primary witness. The reason why they're there is because that's how it happened in our history. Jesus rose From the dead The basis Of joy First you have to believe That history is redemptive And not random And then secondly You need to have a subjective Experience This is emphasized all the way Through Luke 24 With these two men First it says they were kept From seeing him Then it says their hearts started burning. Then it says their eyes were opened. Then it says about the disciples that are trying to grab a hold of this that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It turns out that we don't just choose Christ as intellectual human beings. The most we can do is respond once he's called us. But this thing doesn't start with you figuring it out. It starts with him speaking to you. Him revealing himself to you. The first great awakening didn't really get kicked off until 1738... John Wesley, who's already a pastor, he already believes that history is redemptive. He just hasn't had any personal experience. He knows Jesus died for the whole world, but he doesn't know about himself. And he's at Aldersgate, and he's listening to Luther's preface on Romans, and all of a sudden he says, my heart was strangely warmed. Sounds a lot like we're our hearts not burning within us. And he said, he said in a moment... I realized that what Christ did, he didn't just do for the whole world. He did it for me. And this was the flame that began the first Great Awakening that went all over England and then to the United States, and it was uh, before the American Revolution. Matthew 13:44: "The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field." And when a man found that treasure First thing he does Is he, he hides it again He protects it And then for joy He sells everything he, ha- he has So that he can own that field That has that treasure I want to submit to you That the field is the church And people come to church And it's, there's nothing great It doesn't seem that great And the people there uh, Are They're just people And the program is not amazing. But listen, listen, folks, don't be deceived. There's a treasure hidden in this field. There's a treasure hidden in this field called redemption. There is a treasure in this field that God actually really does love us. He really is alive. There really is a new beginning in Christ. There is a personal relationship that you get to take 24-7. It's not about the field. It is about the treasure Now, I really encourage people, usually the place where the treasure is revealed is when you're in the field. So I encourage people, come to church. Come to the community. That's where Jesus reveals himself usually. Come to church. But don't think church is it because there's a treasure in this field. The beautiful, perfect. You think Christians are hypocrites? Well, let me tell you this. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is absolutely amazing. But you have to It's hidden. It has to be revealed. Now, I want to just say a few things about that. Well, great. So I'm part of those that don't get that revelation. So I guess I'm stuck. Well, here's what what the angel said. That I'm bringing you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. God's not calling just special ones. God will call everyone at some time in their life. Just because you can't initiate it doesn't mean that it's not going to be initiated. It will be initiated by God. God Jesus knocks, and when you hear his knock, you're able to open. Jesus calls, and when he calls, you are able to answer and say, yes, Lord, your, your servant is, is listening. So here's what happened to me this morning we're in our prayer time before and and I just I just feel like about this time in the message somebody is going to say this to themselves oh my i remember when jesus knocked i remember when he called i remember when this was very very real to me and i didn't open the door and i didn't say Yes, and now I have missed, I have missed my chance because God did call, and I either said no expressly or I said no simply by not saying yes. This happened in prayer meeting this morning. Here's, here's what, I, here's what I, I felt. I felt like the Lord just has a personal word for you. He anticipated how you were gonna feel, and he wants you to know that he's, he's patient and he's still knocking. He's got your address. He still loves you. That hasn't changed. He still died for you. And he's still willing to take your yes. Yes. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) Here's point three, walking in joy. So just because you've tasted joy, because you believe history is redemptive, you believe your own life is redempted, you've had this subjective experience where you know that you've said yes to Jesus, does not mean that you're going to walk in joy. It doesn't mean your identity is going to be in joy. How do you actually walk out this identity? How do you actually walk in joy? (laughs) The answer is a little brutal, actually. So I'm a very competitive person. Anybody that knows me knows this. Very competitive. I kind of approach life competitively. And when I came to Madison in 2007, I went through a crisis because my identity was first and foremost in being a parent. And I just love my kids and I would do anything for my kids. And in 2000. Uh, six, my son walked away from our faith, walked away from Christ, said he didn't believe anymore, didn't believe in the Bible, he was too whatever. And I'm just feeling like a failure as a, as a parent. But you know how men do it? Men, if they're, if they're failing in one area, then they put all their eggs in another area because men want to win. And so, uh, okay, well, but I've got a new start as a pastor and we're gonna have revival in this new church and it's gonna be amazing and I come to Madison and the church I'm pastoring actually goes through a split of sorts, a new church starts, a new church that's frankly more exciting than the church I'm pastoring. And so our church is actually shrinking every week. And so I'm failing not just as a parent, but I'm also failing as a pastor and then, um, the man is the provider of the house. The man, that's, that's his job is, is to provide. And, um, but we've got this unsold house in the city that I came from, and, and I can't sell it. I'm doing everything I can to sell it, and I can't sell it. And so we've got this apartment and this house, and every single month, we're going farther behind financially. I'm failing as a parent, a pastor, and a provider all at the same time. And what happens is I go into a time of darkness. I go into a time it's really hard to be in the ministry and to be in darkness. Because you still have to get up and talk about God and how good he is and how amazing he is and all his promises are true and but I'm really struggling. So what I do during this time, I'm like, Tom, you need to get a hold of yourself, dude. Your life is not like the worst life that's ever happened. There are others that have suffered. There are others that have gone through way worse than you have gone through. And so what I did is I started reading about martyrs. I I read Fox's book of martyrs. I read uh, a a book about Vanya, the, the guy in Russia that went through so much torture and imprisonment. And I started reading it, and all of a sudden... I'm like, oh my, there are things, the things about joy are actually disconnected to all these outward things. There are things in the gospel that don't require you to be having a good life. I mean, for starters, it starts with God loves us that i am loved and that it's unconditional there's nothing i can do that makes god love me less to be, to be loved to know that you are loved the bible says perfect love casts out all fear it's just like amazing i am loved it's my identity and then, forgiveness. My, oh, my, Jesus came so that I could be forgiven. So that I could be washed clean. So that nothing in my past would haunt me. That I don't have to worry about what has happened in the past. I, I am clean and I am free in the sight of God. Because I've been forgiven of my sins. And then, there's this hope. This hope of eternal life. It's called a sure hope. Because usually when we think about hope, we think of something that's not sure. We think of, I'm hoping. But this is a sure hope. That when I die, it's not over. That I have eternal life in Jesus. That that was God's gift. That's what the, the cross paid for—a gift for me that I get for free, called eternal life. And the Bible makes it very clear: this life is actually like a breath. It's like a vapor. That when we get to the other side, we're gonna we're gonna. It's nothing compared to eternity. Think of eternity, and then think of ninety years. It's like one little grain of sand. And that I've got that hope. I've got that burning hope. And it's funny, if your life isn't going well, that burning hope actually means more to you. You know, in America, we worship being young and staying young. And so what happens when you get older is eternity becomes more precious and more real. And that which cannot be taken by old age becomes very, very real to you. So this is, the gospel gives me, without me having to have any kind of happiness, the gospel gives me forgiveness, it gives me hope, and then, amazingly, it gives me a present relationship. That Jesus didn't just die so we'd go to heaven one day, he gives us access to God right now. I can be in his presence. In his presence, it says, there's fullness of joy. I can can be strengthened by his presence, no matter how hard it is, I can draw on this every day. Something deeper started happening in my face. It had to happen. Frankly, when your life is really, really bad, you either become bitter or joyful (laughs) because those are your two options. So here it is. Declaration of Independence gives you the right as an American to pursue happiness. Okay? That's the right of an American. Now let me tell you the invite of heaven. To receive joy. To receive joy. When happiness disappoints, actually, even if you're happy, he's inviting you. This is what the kingdom does. It invites us to an identity in joy. So here's how I want to end today. A few uh, weeks ago, a man... um, put me onto a book called The Insanity of God. And in that book, it tells the story of present-day martyrs and God's, God's joy in the midst of very, very difficult lives. And one of the stories was told about a guy in Russia named Dmitry Dmitry. And Dmitry was raised in a Christian home In communist Russia And as he is being raised um, Communism is taking away all church life And all church things And so by the time he's an adult There is no church in his community In fact, it's it's a three day walk To get to to the nearest church For him and his family And he's raising his boys and his wife And so they only go twice a year Because it's going to be six days Three days to get there And three days back To get to church So they only go twice a year And he comes to his wife one day And he says Honey, I just feel like Our boys are missing something And I I want to start taking a time Every week Where we tell the Bible stories Where I just tell them what I know, what I was raised with. And she said, she said, honey, I've been praying that you would do something just like this. And so they start this. Every week he starts telling Bible stories. And then the question comes, hey, why don't we add the church songs? So they start singing the songs of church. And they tell the story every week. And so they live in a very small neighborhood and And it's very, very hard to keep a secret. And pretty soon, others want to come and want to be part of this and want to be part of this gathering where the songs are sung and the stories are told. And pretty soon, there's over 50 people in their living room. They're just jammed in there. And um, uh, the communist leader comes and says, Listen, you need to stop this. This is a church. He says, this isn't a church. I'm untrained. I have no degree. I am not a pastor. I'm just a regular person. I'm just, we're just sharing stories and singing songs. Do not think that this is a church. And the, and the communist uh, police say, listen, it's going to go really bad for you if this continues. Well, then a miracle happened in their meeting. And pretty soon there were 150 people coming. And the, the windows are open. The, I mean, it's just crazy. And, uh, and one day they came and they took Dimitri away. They sent him to a place a thousand miles away to prison. And he was in prison for 17 years. While he was in prison, every single morning, he would stand by his bed and he would sing a song about God and, God, you are my strength. Every single morning. And there were 1,500 other prisoners, all hardened criminals. And they mocked him. They threw food at him. They threw feces at him. They, In every way, they tried to take away this song. And he sang every single morning for 17 years. They tried everything. And one day, they finally got to him. They said that, that his wife was now murdered and that his children were now being cared for by the state and that they were longing for their dad. And he broke. And he just said, whatever I need to sign, you just bring it. Bring it tomorrow morning. I'll sign it tomorrow. And they said, well, here's what it's going to be. It's gonna, you're going to have to renounce your faith and you're going to have to say that you are a spy from the West and that you are you have been trying to take down communism. He said, Whatever it is, I'll sign it. I, I, can't, I can't do it. So that night, the Holy Spirit comes on his family. And they are like, We I don't know what's going on. We need to pray. We need to pray for Dmitri. And so they're all praying a thousand miles away. And God opens Dimitri's ears. And he can hear his wife praying. And he can hear his sons praying for him. The next morning comes, he stands, he sings the song. They come for the signature. He said, do whatever you want. He said, I know you've lied to me. I heard my wife and my children last night. I am not renouncing my faith. So they decide to execute him. They are taking him to the place of execution. And Dimitri hears a chorus, and he says it was the most magnificent human chorus on earth that I've ever heard. All 1,500 prisoners stood, went to the the front of their cell, and began singing the song that he had sung every day for 17 years. Years. The presence of God came and overwhelmed the warden and the guards and the warden says, who are you? And he says, I am a son of the living God and his name is Jesus. They sent him back to his cell and shortly after that released him back to his family Todd Smith is one of the members of Selah and he there's a YouTube called Dimitri Song and he sings Dimitri Song in Russian and then he sings a song that he wrote about Dimitri's life. And I want you to watch this before we close in prayer. Would you mind bowing your head and closing your eyes? I've got two groups I want to pray for and then we'll dismiss. The first group is, is this is maybe you're here today and joy has been something foreign to you. Maybe, maybe you're here today, however you got here, and um, you don't know that your sins are forgiven. You don't know that if you died, you'd go to heaven. You don't, you don't know that Jesus lives in you. Let me tell you this. God loves you. And Jesus himself says this, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, anyone, doesn't matter what you've done or how religious you've been or haven't been, doesn't matter where you are. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. That's why I have everybody's head bowed and eye closed. This is between you and Jesus. The reason why I have a raise of hands is because I like to pray a prayer that you just repeat in your heart after me. To open the door because somebody helped me open my door. And so if that is you today, Jesus is knocking. Maybe this is the first time you're conscious of his knocking, or maybe you are one of those that you remember a time in your life where he was knocking and you didn't open, but he's knocking again today. And you want to open up your heart, you want to respond. Would you just slip up your hand right now, high enough and long enough for me to see? I see that hand. God bless you, bro. All over this place. I see that hand and that hand. God bless you. By upraised hand. Anybody else? See that hand in the back. We're going to pray that prayer in just a minute. I want to include you if if God's knocking. This this isn't about man. It's got to be about God. If Jesus is knocking, just raise your hand. We're going to pray. Anybody else? I'd like everybody that raised their hand, just slip that hand over your heart right now and pray something like this to God. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. And Lord, thank you for not giving up and and continuing to knock on my heart. Lord, right now I open my door, best I know how, by faith. Would you come in and, and forgive me and save me? I receive right now by faith that gift. eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And then could we stand to our feet? And here's the second group that I want to pray for. You are here today, and you are suffering. (laughs) Maybe not like Dimitri was suffering. Maybe even not like I was suffering but you are suffering in some area of your life and it's a very vulnerable time for you. And you know it. You can become bitter or you can push in more to the one that brings joy. If that is you and you just want to draw close, you want God to to bring you more into that identity of joy, would you just open up your arms like this? I'm just going to pray for all of us. Lord, you see the suffering of your people, even if it's not in a Russian prison. You see broken relationships and unpaid bills and pains that don't seem to go away, and circumstances that we feel trapped in, just like a prison. And there are many, many things that are trying to take away our song, just like those prisoners every day try to to remove the song. And sometimes we get to the place Where like I just can't maintain this song anymore And Lord I pray that we wouldn't get to that place I pray that we would become strengthened In our joy even today But Lord I pray for that one That you just gave up your song You just said I'll sign whatever you need me to sign I can't live like this anymore Lord in Jesus name would you speak today Would you open eyes and hearts today And Lord, we found out in this American pursuit of happiness that there's really not joy in parenting and there's not joy in um, our jobs or even in the ministry. There's not joy in money and getting more and having more. Joy is in Jesus. And all of those things can be enjoyed when we're in Jesus. But without Jesus, they can't bring us joy. They can actually bring us heartbreak. And so, Lord, t- today we're stepping up. We're answering that invitation to a better version of ourselves. Filled with joy. Would you fill, even this morning, Lord, your beloved children, with a joy that this world can't take away? The political thing can't take it away. What's going on in our life can't take it away. Would you... Would you Release that merry heart that has a continual feast to your beloved children. I pray this, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Happy Easter, guys.